This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP, the federal leader in retirement planning seminars, sponsored by WEPA. Join NITP for an hour of plain talk on planning your future. You've got questions, they've got answers. Welcome to the January 29th, 2024 For Your Benefit radio show. Today we have Bob Bronstein, federal benefits specialist, knower of all things federal. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Bob. Good to see you. We actually see you. (laughs) And then we can see the ever-efficient Andrew making sure everything is clear. And so we're going to talk about survivor's benefits. First of all, what is a survivor's benefit? I know it's a dopey question, but let's make sure everybody's on online. Nothing, nothing dopey about it. I mean, survivor benefits are essentially, I guess it's replacement income that would go to our loved ones to help them survive when we're gone. I mean, in essence, you know, you, you plan for your own retirement. And you may be and probably are the primary breadwinner if you're listening to this broadcast. And if that's the case, you want to make sure you have enough money to fund your lifestyle. And you may be doing that in concert with someone you're married to. You may still have dependent children. And you have to think in terms of a really, you know, a nasty situation. What if you were gone? What would your surviving spouse, if that's the situation, and if you still have kids, What would they need to continue to maintain the same quality of life, pay the bills and so on? So survivor benefits are essentially income. They're they're a gap filler that could come from a variety of different sources that would give them the financial uh, replacement income to continue to pay the mortgage, for example, or the other bills and uh, to continue to fund college expenses I mean, it can come from all kinds of places, lump sum benefits, pensions, and so on. But in essence, survivor benefits by definition are what those we leave behind would need from us, if they do, uh, to continue to live, to continue to have the same quality of life. So this this would not then be only for surviving spouses. So this could be children. Should could it be anybody else other than that, those two? Absolutely. What if you have? I always tell people when I talk to them in webinars and so on. What if you have a, a sibling who's fallen on hard times? Uh, what if you have a sibling who not only have they fallen on hard times, but they don't manage money well? You know, how would you want to take care of this person in the event that you're gone? They depend upon you now for income. You're perhaps supporting them, and in situations like that. You might want to elect uh, an insurable interest survivor benefit, which we'll talk about as we get into some of the the things you could do as as an employee. Or you might want to leave them a large amount of life insurance. But if they can't manage that well, what would you do? So it definitely survivor benefits typically are what we think about uh, leaving to our, our spouse for those of us who are married. But there may be other people in our lives that depend upon our income for their existence. And when we're gone, what are they going to have? So it could very well go beyond the spouse. Absolutely. Can, can it be written such that if we know the person that's going to receive it's really at their feet, flat on the ground, and they understand that they can't spend it all at once, but is a situation where an individual really doesn't have a full understanding of how long that money's got to last, how can, uh, let's say, we insure ourselves that that would be there rather than just here's the money. That's that's a that's an excellent question. <clears throat> and some of the things we're going to be talking about are survivor annuities. Those are going to be for life. And federal employees have the ability to elect survivor annuities for their spouses. Or even if they pass away as federal employees, if they've been working for at least 10 years, their spouses will get survivor annuity benefits. Those will last forever. But you ask a great question because in some cases, the survivor benefit available to the survivor might not be an annuity. It could be a lump sum benefit coming from life insurance. You and I both know that, you know, you get $200,000 of life insurance. That's a wonderful benefit. It's tax free. But are you financially astute enough to manage that for the Mm -hmm. rest of your life to make sure that, you know, that it stays there? Are you going to burn through it in a couple of years like my I don't want to say my no account brother, but my younger brother who really doesn't manage money very well, you know. So 
<clears throat> you're right. It's it's a question of understanding what those sources are, the needs of the individuals who are going to get those sources, and whether they're capable, if you will, to manage large lump sum tax-free payments. Maybe they aren't. Good question. So how do you break it to them? <laughs> you, you basically sit them down. I mean, these are difficult, difficult discussions to have. I mean, in essence, I think let's let's go back to, I guess, to the beginning. Number one, how do I know how much to elect and for whom to elect it? You know, it's I always tell people, particularly those who are married, sit down for a moment and calculate what your income is <clears throat> to the outflow that you have for your current lifestyle. This is what I bring in. This is what you bring in. Uh, we, we come together to pay the mortgage payments. Uh, maybe we have a lease or a car payment. We have other credit card bills and so on and so forth. And this is where the money is going. So that's important. We, we have what we need. Everything is fine. Now, what would happen if I'm gone? You know, my income is gone, but what do you have to replace my income? And is that sufficient for your lifestyle? And if it isn't sufficient, what should I be programming you to get as my survivor? You know, certain things are going to be automatic. We'll talk about those. But, you know, maybe I need to get some additional life insurance because right now we've, we've taken on some new expenses. Maybe we, maybe we changed homes. We still have a big mortgage payments. Maybe we moved. Uh, there could be a whole variety of issues that dictate the need to elect more life insurance, or you know, maybe I was thinking a partial survivor annuity benefit, which we'll talk about, was enough, but perhaps that's not enough. And some of these things are going to have a downward impact on my income when I retire. I'll take a, a hit on my pension if I elect a survivor benefit for you, not so much for the partial, but these are things that will get in the, I don't want to say get in the way, but will diminish our discretionary income. So maybe there's a way of electing a benefit that won't have that much of a much of an effect on the income we have now. Uh, so all of these things need to be looked at in concert with a plan. This is what we bring to the table. I call it the three spreadsheet scenario. And you and I have talked about this before. You know, income to outflow now. Uh, what if I'm gone? What's your income to outflow? What do you need from me? And vice versa. As you've said very, very well in the past, Bob, you know, what you have is what you need to live. The question is, is what you need based on what you have enough to, to fund that lifestyle? And then it's what's beyond your life. So there's there are a lot of things to think about. So, so if we have a spouse, we're probably going to go to the spouse, but there are other people than the spouses. Not everybody's got a spouse. So other dependents, other dependents for this would be, as you mentioned, children. Could it ever be parents? Sure. I mean, I can think in terms of my folks who lived a very, very long time. And uh, it's not that I was going to leave them large amounts of life insurance, <clears throat> but I had to program in some uh, income from my income to, to essentially help them with assisted living and so on. Dad lived to be almost 103 and mom was like 96. Parents can very well be dependent. Uh, people are living longer and sometimes they don't plan so well for their own retirement. So it's not uncommon to, you know, perhaps... Make sure that they're going to be okay if you're gone. Now, the chances are they're not going to outlive you. But while they're still here, if you pass away, the things that you're helping pay for are going to need some income source for your folks. So you might have them designated, particularly if you're not married. Maybe your folks are probably next in line. For people who don't, aren't married with children, whose parents are still living, oftentimes I see that the parents are the number one designees on their life insurance uh, or their thrift savings plan or their 401k plan. And that makes perfect sense. So again, survivor benefits, which we typically think are for our, for our wife or our husband, oftentimes go beyond that, particularly for those of us who have other, when I say dependents, people who aren't 100% dependent on us, but who need us to be there to help ends meet. All right. So, I mean, and these benefits, because um, we're talking to a, uh, a federal group, got the TSP, but that group might include a spouse, a child or whatnot, doesn't have a TSP because they're not with the federal government, but they have a, what they call a 401k plan. 
So they would be entitled then to put money into a 401k for potential issues soon and for uh, a better retirement later than soon. How do you can, how do I won't say how do you convince, because uh, I'm not so sure you need to convince people, but I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure that everyone doesn't understand the significance of one doing this and the dollar magnitude of doing it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's again, it's a question of of knowing, of, you know, of, of thinking beyond where you are now. I mean, none of us really want to think of maudlin issues like passing away. But you sort of need to put yourself there. I mean, most of us don't think in terms of final expenses, uh, but that's going to happen, too. So it's a question of sitting down, doing the math. I mean, think about, you know, how your finances would change if one of you passed away. What if you still have kids and the other spouse has to work? Even if they're working from home, you don't want the kids to be underfoot, uh, even when they're in school. So maybe you have daycare expenses that you didn't expect. Uh, if you were used to taking care of your home, you know, cleaning it and doing those things, all of a sudden you don't have the time to do it. So where's the money going to come from to hire a housekeeper? And what if you have to take time away from work to take kids back and forth to, to, to doctor's appointments? I mean, you got to think in terms of finances, paying off mortgages, other debts, continuing to fund college, uh, college funds, 529s, uh, Coverdell or whatever they call those. That's really... You've got to make sure that that the flow is there to launch the kids and for those who stay behind, spouses in particular, to be able to manage the lifestyle. I mean, the chances are they may not want to stay in the same house. So if the mortgage is high, they're going to leave. I mean, I wouldn't want to stay in the same house if my wife were gone, but I'd still want to be able to get out of it. And uh, sometimes, you know, it's a difficult thing to do. So you think in terms of what you need, what types of survivor benefits are there, annuities, payments for life. When you elect annuities, that has a little bit of a downward impact on what your income is going to be as long as your spouse is still there. Life insurance, most of us, as we get closer to retirement, uh, most of us, the liabilities we had when we were younger, and I'm, I'm speaking generally, you know, for those who have families, kids have launched successfully, mortgages paid, credit card debt's a thing of the past. Do I really need a large amount of life insurance to designate? And the answer is probably not. And quite frankly, I've been looking at my retirement accounts, my TSP in particular. You know, I pass away. Uh, my spouse who has an income equal to mine or close enough is going to do just fine with TSP. Don't need to be laden with large amounts of life insurance because the chances are we may both live 25, 30 years beyond our retire, uh, the time we retire. And we don't want to compromise our income too much by taking giant hits for electing things that may or may not even pass or come to pass. Because uh, like Judy and I always said, we're going to do a lover's leap and we're done. <laughs> so we don't have to leap <laughs> each other. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm getting too far afield. Did that, did that get you what you needed to know? <laughs> uh, uh, let's let uh, everybody take a break and, and, and listen to what Bob just talked about. And then we'll be back uh, after the break. Times have changed, but WEPA's mission remains the same, to promote the health, welfare, and financial well-being of civilian federal employees. WEPA offers group term life insurance to civilian federal employees with up to $1.5 million in coverage regardless of salary. As a WEPA member, you can access exclusive rates and benefits not available to the general public. How does this compare to Fegley? Unlike Fegley, WEPA's coverage amounts are not capped by your salary. WEPA will cover your family as well. For your children, WEPA offers double the benefits that Fegley offers. And for your spouse, WEPA offers 20 times more coverage than Fegley. 20 times more coverage. WEPA's coverage is also portable if you decide to leave the federal government or retire. You can even supplement or replace your existing policy. See how much you could save by visiting waepa.org today. Welcome back to For Your Benefit. We're here today with Bob Bronstein, Robert Bronstein, however you prefer. And we're talking about a lot of different things. Where did we leave off? Well, we, we left off with uh, the need to elect survivor benefits or not. And now it's it's time, you know, it's a turnabout is fair play. This, this one's for you, Bob, because uh, I get questions all the time on if I have to elect survivor benefits, you know, people are going to be taxed on them and 
If so, what can be done to minimize tax liabilities? I mean, these are the kinds of questions that I get. Should I wait to draw my TSP or should I draw Social Security first? Um, should I wait to draw my Social Security uh, beyond full retirement age until 70 years of age? Uh, you know, how can I, number one, mitigate my tax liability while I'm working? Uh, and then most importantly, if I have dependents who will be getting survivor benefits that I elect for them, what should they do? I mean, what are there, are there, I guess the question I'm asking you, is there, is there a strategy, maybe not one size fits all for drawing retirement assets, survivor benefits and things of that nature in a manner that will, you know, put you in the best tax position? Well, I want to look at what I can get. And once I understand what I can get, and it isn't like th this is what you get and this is what you don't get, but you have different opportunities to, to take more out than to take less out. So then you have to ask yourself, what other income stream do I have other than what we're talking about? We won't spend a lot of time on anything else other than what we are talking about. Um, but I would say with the federal audience, um, you know, your your retirement is your annuity, your pension. It's actually called an annuity, um, but many people call it a pension. I don't need to get into it, um, but somebody sometimes will remind you, well, oh, it's a pension, it's an annuity, uh, you know, potato, potato. Anyway, let's get back to the focus. So then what am I going to need and how much, you know, do I take out each month for taxes? Well, isn't that, that's not a decision, that's mandatory. That money's gotta come from somewhere, it might come from your annuity. And then again, you might pay something called estimated taxes. So the very astute in the room, um, if you can manage money, I think it's better off paying it four times a year than paying it 12 times a year. Uh, but you gotta be really careful with that, um, that you know you're gonna set that money aside because it's kind of hard to make it. It only take one year doing the wrong thing, and then you won't do that again. <laughs> so, so true. So, is there a, you know, when you do, that, 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 that reminds me. So if you're doing quarterly, uh, I understand that there is a, a, a definite amount you need to have set aside quarterly to avoid penalties. What is that? Okay, so let's let's start from the get-go. So when you retire, you can have withholding if you want. Or you can have it very low if you want. And you'd say, yeah, that's great, but if I don't pay it in, when am I going to pay it in? Well, you're going to pay it in by April 15th, and if you want to extend it, it's October 15th. But you're talking about interest penalties and whatnot. So you want to pay something in, depending on how good you are managing money. Uh, I would say you would always want to put something in. We got FERS primarily listening, probably got some CSRSers, uh, maybe some offsets, but it doesn't make any difference. They're all going to have a retirement and they're all going to have taxable income from this um, pension, this annuity thing. And just so long as somebody understands it, um, I, I would suggest for most people, what it, project out your income tax for the year and you'd say, well, how do I do that? You could do a turbo tax. You could go to somebody that would advise you on that. I'm not I'm not um, 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 looking for business here, but I mean, it's real. I mean, otherwise, how do you know how much? True. And you really don't know because the tax on the annuity is going to be different than the tax on your salary because of the dollar magnitude for, for most. And then money coming out of the thrift. You know, when that money comes out of the thrift, you know who's at the front door. Um, the IRS. I'm not saying anything bad about the IRS, but they are generally looking for their money first. Um, if you don't, you know, there are some people that are very good managing money and they go, are you really telling me I wouldn't have to do it but once a year? And that's true, but you will pay a penalty. It's not horrible, but certainly it's something to be avoided. Now, and you talk to a lot of different classes. Do you find that some of the things you're talking about with regarding to cash flow and the like they go, I really need to be, you know, I, I got income from three sources. And you're telling me it's not all coming from my annuity? No. That's right. It's a th Well, it's, just, it's the three-legged stool. I mean, technically, uh, FERS employees, CSRS employees, FERS in particular, are paying into 
the retirement fund that's going to produce their pension. It's called the Civil Service Retirement Disability Fund. Uh, they're paying into Social Security. That's going to produce for them two defined benefits, which are taxable. You know, people say they're, they're taxable. I said, yeah, but it's still not quite as bad as, uh, as getting paid from a job because you're not going to be paying the payroll tax. You don't pay Social Security and Medicare Part A from things like pensions uh, or TSP drawdown. And some people are paying the taxes forward with regard to their TSP contributions. They're contributing to Roth. So, you know, you, you get you pay the taxes forward. Once the money is in the TSP, it still performs the way you have it invested. But when you start pulling those contributions out, they're not taxable. Uh, so you can actually, if you do have TSP Roth as well as TSP traditional, you can sort of blend what you're pulling out on the Roth side uh, to mitigate tax liability. Uh, maybe even using tax-free assets first. What if you're the inheritor of a large lump sum um, life insurance uh, amount. I mean, that you could bank that money and maybe the interest that you that, that you earn on is going to be bankable, but the money itself is tax-free and you can draw on that. So these are things that, <clears throat> again, it's a bit tangential to what we're talking about, but the questions that I typically get for uh, from, from people in, in webinars and so on is if I leave this to my spouse, you know, what is the tax liability on it? You know, uh, spouses who inherit, for example, your TSP account. You know, if they're not otherwise federal employees, they have that in what's called a beneficiary participant account. And beneficiary participant accounts for spouses are wonderful because it gives federal spouses, whether federal or not, the same latitude to invest their TSP money among the five funds. They have access to TSP's relatively new mutual fund window, which allows them to put up to 25% of the TSP into mutual funds with separate fees and so on. It's a great, it's, it's terrific for them. But for the next in line, and I know you know this, if the kids are next to receive whatever is left when, you know, mom or dad who's inherited the TSP in a BPA, if, they, if they're gone, the kids are going to get that money. <clears throat> it's all taxable as soon as they get it. So <clears throat> perhaps moving it out of that arrangement moving it into an IRA would give the children five years to spread out the liability for taxes because they got when they inherit the IRA. And you, you correct me if I'm wrong. It's my understanding you have five years to spread out that liability. That's right. That's accurate. Yeah. Okay, good. <clears throat> Another question that I get, especially this, well, it's questions. These are the things we go over. When we do the webinars, occasionally a private client, they want to know what their opportunities are to elect survivor benefits. Question I get all the time is, well, what happens if I don't elect anything? I'm just, I'm gone. Something happens to me. If I die in service, does that mean my spouse is not going to get any survivor benefits? What about my dependent kids? <clears throat> Death in service, let's, I'm using FERS for the most part, even CSRS, generally is going to give a person to whom you're married uh, a survivor annuity. On the first side, <clears throat> if you've worked at least 10 years, 10 creditable years of first service and you pass away and you're married, your spouse is entitled to something called a basic employee death benefit, which is a, a pretty big chunk of change. It's half a year's pay at the salary you were receiving when you passed away, plus up by another 40,000 or so. And that figure, ten, that, that, plus up goes up a little bit every year. That's a lump sum payment, which <clears throat> isn't life insurance. It's taxable. But in addition, it could also be a survivor annuity uh, equivalent to 50% of what your payable annuity would have been on the day you died as if you had retired. And these are not things that you elect. These are things that your <clears throat> spouse is eligible to receive. Children who are dependent and dependency <clears throat> by OPM's definition, they're not 18 yet, they're not married, or they could be an undergraduate school, uh, they're not married, uh, or they could be incapable of self-support because due to a condition that began before they turned 18 years of age, <clears throat> these children are actually eligible for child survivor annuity benefits. <clears throat> and there are also survivor annuity benefits that come from social security. These are things that happen <clears throat> if you pass away. When you pass away, there's nothing to elect. Well, I should say that you should have elected or should have filled out designation of beneficiary forms. 
We're going to talk about some of those things too in a moment. But you designate beneficiaries for life insurance. You designate beneficiaries for TSP. What about your last paycheck and your unused annual leave that you die as an employee? You can designate that as well. There are all kinds of things that you can do. So <clears throat> it's nice to have things lined up while you're working. But if you do pass away, it's also important to know that your spouse is not left without certain survivor benefits that come from FERS or CSRS, a survivor annuity, a basic employee death benefit. And children who are still dependent also get benefits that you don't even elect. They're just there by virtue of the fact that they are your children. Well, here we go. We got um, four, four email questions. Oh, cool. All righty. Question one. Are common law partners eligible for survivor's benefits? Absolutely. Yeah, what we just talked about. If you have a common law marriage, I mean, obviously there is a certain proof of a common law marriage, much the same as there's a marriage certificate. You'd need to, in states where common law marriage is recognized, you'd need to get that proof that you're in a common law marriage relationship. And then you can elect a survivor benefit for a common law uh, marriage. And also if that marriage is in effect and you pass away, your spouse, based on the same things I just talked about before, would be eligible for that survivor annuity benefit if you pass away first and you had at least 10 years of creditable service. So yeah, absolutely common law, but <clears throat> there is a way to document the common law marriage much the same as you do for a traditional marriage with a marriage certificate. Okay, here we go. We got another one. I was married twice and both marriages lasted 10 years. Would my <laughs> former spouses, would my former spouses get the same amount of benefits upon my passing? Well, interestingly enough, former spouses, as far as your pension from the government is concerned, <clears throat> when you divorce them or you're not married to them anymore, they lose title to that unless they have it in some to some degree through a, a court order or a divorce decree. But <clears throat> independent of the annuity that comes to you from FERS, you also have another defined benefit known as Social Security. And Social Security basically says that a former spouse who was married to you for at least 10 years could conceivably be eligible to draw against your Social Security benefit if, and I say if, the following conditions are met. Number one, you've already said, married to me for at least 10 years. Number two, for them to be eligible to draw a benefit against you, you have to be eligible for benefits they also must be eligible. In other words, you got to be at least 62, and so do they. And in addition to being eligible for benefits, they cannot be at that time married to anyone else. So that's the eligibility criteria. And then it's a question of, do they have a work-based benefit of their own? And if they do, how high is it? And is it perhaps too high to even qualify for a spousal benefit based on you? So that's a lot, of, a lot of moving parts, a lot of issues. They are eligible to draw against you, provided they're 62, not married to anyone else, got to be at least 62, and you're at least 62 and eligible for benefits. Eligibility is there. Then it's a question of the math. Are they working? Is their work-based benefit too high to get a benefit from you? So there are lots of moving parts here. But to answer the question simply, yeah, if you have two spouses in that category, absolutely. And then perhaps the most important issue that people get a little upset about because of, you know, the FERS annuity when there's a court order uh, could diminish their ability to provide survivor benefits. It's going to split up your pension with theirs. Social Security doesn't do that at all because former spouses, even if they qualify and start receiving survivor, excuse me, spouse-based benefits based on your uh, Social Security, they won't even know what's happening. You wouldn't know what's happening because it has no impact on the benefit you're getting from Social Security or the benefits your dependents can receive on your Social Security benefit. What the, for the former spouse gets, completely independent and has zero impact on the benefits you get from Social Security. Wow. <clears throat> well uh, spoken. All right. Here's another question. Should retirees first worry about one's finances before other family members' needs? And so long retirement can be very expensive. Absolutely. I mean, you sort of think in terms of the 
predictors for your own longevity. Uh, you know, I've been very fortunate. I had my parents all the way into my 70s. I'm in my 70s now. And they had great longevity. My father passed away at like 102. Uh, my mom was 96. And all of these things being considered, you have to recognize your retirement is for a long time. So you you don't want to diminish it to the point where you can't enjoy your life. You want to plan. Uh, you want to elect things. But at the same time, if you're anticipating 25 to 30 years of existence after you retire. And perhaps your spouse is, too. You want to be able to enjoy things without you know, burdening yourself with large life insurance payments, which under Fegley get more and more expensive as you age. And you want to elect a reasonable amount of survivor benefit to, you know, replace income that might be necessary. And equally important to that for the, and, and many federal employees that I talk to aren't even aware of this. If you happen to be married to someone who's not federal, which is often the case, uh, you may decide that, well, they're bringing in as much money as I am. I don't need to elect a survivor benefit for them. And they're saying, no, you don't need to elect a survivor benefit for me until you find out that there's a hidden reason for electing a survivor benefit. And that hidden reason is if you have federal employees health benefits coverage, you're the subscriber and your non-federal spouse is your family member, you're, you're dependent on that plan, for them to be able to continue the health insurance beyond your lifetime, you have to at least elect a partial survivor annuity for them when you retire, or they will only enjoy the coverage under you and you pass away, they lose FEHB. You don't want to lose FEHB because the government still pays the lion's share of the premium and you get down the road when it comes time to enroll in Medicare, that's not even required. And that's a, that's a subject for another, another uh, <clears throat> radio show. There's a whole variety of things going on here. So I don't know, maybe I'm, did, did I go beyond the, uh, the question? Uh, slightly, but well received. Okay. You, you need what you need to live. So you don't want to compromise your lifestyle by electing things that are unaffordable. In other words, if you do need to leave survivor benefits, figure out the most cost-effective way to do it. So to answer the, the, the questioner raises a very good point. Yeah, you want to make sure that you're living as well as you possibly can, while at the same time being strategic and programming survivor benefits for those you might leave behind. Okay, we've got a, a last question, unless some more come in. <laughs> <laughs> well, why should I worry about selecting beneficiaries on my TSP account if I never married or don't have any children? Can I designate the money to my religious organization or a homeless shelter? Absolutely. I even, you know, I jokingly tell people, you know, if you don't want to leave money to anybody, you, you can leave it to your cat. It's entirely up to you. Well, what, what, which happened many yeah, years ago. So they can have all the food they want. I think there's a commercial on that right now. But, it, you know, what it boils down to is, you know, many of us aren't married and we don't have kids to worry about. And if that's the case, like you said, do you have a favorite charity? You have a, an organization that you'd like to leave the money to. You just designate, being very specific on that designation of beneficiary form. We'll talk to you about the three forms that are there. Uh, to put the name of that organization, and it can go on. <clears throat> for people, for example, who have young children, maybe aren't married anymore, maybe their spouse has passed away, but they still have young children, oftentimes they want to designate a trust fund as the first beneficiary for TSP or life insurance. And the trustee within that fund would have the instructions on how to parse the money out to the kids to make sure that they can live until they're independent. And then the trust trustee would probably you know, give them uh, control of the money. So there are lots of lots of ways to designate beneficiaries. You don't have to be married. The legal order of precedence says spouse first, children next, uh, parents next. That could be not in the picture at all for you. The beauty of doing a designation of beneficiary is it puts you in control. And if you don't have, again, a traditional marriage with kids, then you might be looking to other, um, other beneficiaries, uh, organizations that you love and hold dear. So it's entire. Again, it's up to you. Uh, you can you can do those things. Okay, I think it's time for another um, well times break, and we'll let uh, the listeners know what NITP can do for themselves. 
Who do you trust when making your most important decisions? National Institute of Transition Planning has been the trusted source for federal retirement planning, serving new, mid-career, and pre-retirement federal employees for more than 30 years. NITP's subject matter experts bring more than 800 years of collective expertise on federal benefits, financial, transition, and estate planning. Visit NITPinc.com. That's NITPinc.com to sign up for their free monthly newsletter and information about free webinars. Are you at the mid-career stage of your federal career? Or do you plan to retire in the next five years and wonder if you are prepared for retirement? No matter what career stage you are, it's never too early to dot the I's and cross the T's. NITP now offers online open enrollment training to help you understand your federal benefits package and financial planning options with tips and tools to plan and fine-tune your retirement planning goals. Visit NITPINC.com to download the current brochure and calendar. Okay, welcome back to the final leg of today's show with Bob Bronstein, federal benefits specialist and eloquent presenter. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Uh, well, I think, go ahead. Go ahead. Who, who ensures the survivors receive the benefits? So in other words, right. if somebody's single or somebody's kind of, then they don't talk to a lot of people, who, who ensures then that whoever passed gets the benefits well one of the things i tell people to do is have discussions with the people that you have in line to inherit whatever that you've elected for them i mean if you let's let's go back to the traditional marriage situation uh, you want to have a, a place in your house where you keep all your important papers and you want your spouse to understand that if you pass away that they're entitled to a lump sum death benefit that we talked about before although they'll get a survivor benefit uh, typically, when you pass away in service, uh, the I should say that the, the help or the assistance in filing for these benefits comes directly from the agency that you were working in when you passed away. They shepherd all of these things through the Office of Personnel Management. They'll, they'll work with you to help uh, <clears throat> make certain you understand TSP and that you're going to be a beneficiary, participant, account holder. Now, if you're already retired, a lot of these responsibilities go to the Office of Personnel Management, but still it's important for whomever is left behind to know who to call. So you, you make sure that you have phone numbers, information about, you know, about you know, who to contact in Social Security, who to contact at the TSP, um, agency points of contact if you're still working, who's in the HR department that's gonna help you if I'm gone. Same thing with uh, with the Office of Personnel Management. So you want to have that all laid out. So you're really responsible offhand uh, for making certain that you set these things up properly, but you equally have to make certain that you're, the people for whom you're setting it up understands what they are, where they're going to come from, and when you're gone, who they have to get in touch with to activate these important financial benefits that they're going to get. So before I leave this, though, I think it's important to talk about those of the, the people who are retiring. How do you set up a survivor entitlement from FERS? And the way it's done, because people think that, oh, I should be doing this now and I should be paying for it now. You don't elect survivor annuities until you actually retire. And when you retire, you fill out an application. On the CSRS side, it's standard form 2801, 2801. On the first side, it's standard form 3701, 3701. And you designate beneficiaries for your survivor pension or is the survivor annuity actually on the application. It's There's an annuity section. And you can do a maximum survivor annuity for your spouse, for someone to whom you're married, of course, the maximum survivor annuity, and this is where we get into the issue of like, what's that going to do to my to my income while I'm living? It's going to reduce your pension by 10%. But if you pass away, it's going to give your spouse an annuity equivalent to 50% of the pension you were receiving without that reduction. So that's really important income. That's the maximum survivor annuity. You can also, if you decide that your spouse doesn't need the maximum survivor annuity and they're willing to allow you to elect something less, they'd have to give you notarized permission to do that. Partial survivor annuities reduce yours by 5%. And commensurately gives your spouse 
a 25% equivalency in a survivor annuity of what your full annuity would have been without that reduction. So you sort of sit down and figure out what you need. And your spouse says, I don't really need the full survivor annuity, dear. I'll give you permission to elect the partial. We'll have more money to live on while, we're, while you're alive. And as it so happens, I'll be able to maintain my health insurance coverage because I don't really need the replacement income, but you've got to elect that form. Then let's talk about the insurable interest survivor benefit. Let's just say you have a family member who depends upon you for income, a brother or sister who's fallen on hard times, or if it isn't a family member, you could elect this insurable interest survivor annuity for someone who depends upon your life for theirs. Now, they would have to sign an affidavit, a financial affidavit, indicating that that's the case. There'd probably be some other financial proof of that arrangement. But the insurable interest survivor benefit, different from the one you typically uh, elect for a spouse, can only be elected at retirement. If you pass away while you're working, there is no such thing as an insurable interest survivor annuity. But when you're retiring, you have the opportunity to elect this benefit one time. And I say one time because if this person passes away, you can't elect it again. Whereas if your spouse passed away, you could get married again and elect another survivor annuity. The insurable interest survivor annuity, unlike the spousal election, which at a maximum is a 10% reduction to your payable annuity, this one has a sliding scale for age. The younger this person is than you, the more it's going to cost you. So for example, if you were doing this for a kid brother or sister who is 12 years younger than you, that's going to whack your annuity by 20% as long as this person is alive to set up this survivor annuity for them. So this is where you want to be very, very careful. Uh, I want to elect something for this person, but I don't want to take a 20% hit on my pension. Maybe I do need to go down to the life insurance route. And if I go the life insurance route, if I'm concerned that this individual can't manage a large lump sum payment, then probably when I elect, when I get that life insurance, instead of making this individual the designated beneficiary, I'm going to put a trust fund as beneficiary, number one, and I will discuss with the trust organization how I want that money to go to this person, and they'll make sure that it lasts as long as it can. And that's going to be far less of a reduction to my payable income than a 20% hit on my pension. I think I've said enough. I probably have your head swimming a little bit. Um, do I need any follow-up on that? Well, I mean, we've known each other for a while, so <laughs> I understand 50% of it today. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, uh, folks. But not really, folks. Bob um, is very eloquent in describing the undesire and uh, the understandable, and um, the way you um, emphasize your uh, speech. Too, we get it. <laughs> Maybe we won't get it two weeks from now, but we'll remember. So, what do you find? What do you find the toughest questions you get in class? Wow, that's. That's that's a big one. That could even go really beyond what we're talking about here. I mean, we're talking a little bit about Social Security. I get a lot of questions about spousal benefits <clears throat> and spousal benefits from Social Security tend to be confused with survivor benefits. A spousal benefit in Social Security, uh, your spouse is still alive and <clears throat> you're qualifying for a higher payable benefit based on their work history. Now, number one, they've got to be eligible and receiving benefits, and you also have to be eligible and apply. They have to apply before you. <clears throat> so how much could a spousal benefit be under Social Security? What's the, the largest amount of income that you could get from a spouse in a, in a benefit based on their work history? And the answer is 50% of what's known as their primary insurance amount. That's a fancy term for their claimable amount at their full retirement age, which for most of us is age 67 these days. So for example, if my claimable amount at age 67, let's just say is round figure, $3,000. Then the maximum payable spousal benefit for someone who's married to me and is at least say 62 years of age, the maximum benefit they could get is 50% of that 3,000 based on me. So that's $1,500. What if I have a spouse who's claiming their benefit at age 62 and it's $2,300 based on their work history? 
Well, when they go ahead and apply, since I've already applied, they are deemed to be filing for a spousal benefit. But at age 62, and this is getting really far afield, their benefit isn't even going to be as high as it could be. It's going to be about 70%. And the spousal benefit at age 62 for a spouse who's already filed ahead of you is 32% of that benefit. So what's 32% of $3,000? What's that, about 1000 bucks? <clears throat> and your benefit is $2,300? you are not going to get a spousal benefit. So wait a minute. So my benefit is $2,300, but I don't get a spousal benefit? And the reason is, no, you don't, because the highest payable spousal benefit is 50% of 3000 in this example. And you're not even going to get that much. You're going to get 32%. So your benefit overrides the spousal opportunity. Now, down the road, let's just see life has gone on and your benefit has now grown to 3000 and your spouse with a higher benefit has got $4,000 and they pass away. And let's say they pass away when you're beyond the age of 67. Well, then you can go to Social Security and elevate your own benefit to the full amount that they were receiving. Because survivor benefits can be the full amount if you claim them at 67 or whatever your full retirement age is or older, and that benefit is higher than yours. I mean, if your benefit is 2300 and your spouse's is 3000 in a situation like that, you go to Social Security and they elevate you to the 3000 You're still technically getting your own. They're plussing it up to the amount your deceased spouse was receiving because it's higher than yours. So bottom line is survivor benefits in Social Security means your spouse is gone and you could be entitled to receive the amount they were getting if it's higher than yours. Spouse-based benefits... Your spouse is still alive. They have to file before you. When you file for you to be able to get a spousal benefit, your work-based benefit has to be lower than 50% of their primary insurance amount, or maybe even lower than that. Does that make sense? How, how It makes sense, but I, you know, I'm an accountant, so I understand half of what you're saying. But you know, other listeners might be going, what? But I, I would suggest that anybody listening, you can listen to this uh, broadcast. What Andrew was about goes on about a half an hour or an hour after the show is over. Andrew yeah. was yeah okay. Andrew was saying <laughs> yeah. Andrew Andrew guides us through this every week. The patience of Job. Anyway, Bob, um, I think we got all of. Five minutes, Andrew? Andrew says five. So I know it's going to be hard, but how do we wrap it up? Well, I'll tell you what. One of the things I wanted to make sure everybody listening in, particularly on the federal side, knows is there, there are some critical designations of beneficiary forms that you want to have in place all the time while you're working. And uh, in place, meaning they need to be in your official personnel folder. OPF, sometimes, most of the time, is an electronic official personnel file, EOPF. The three forms, let's take them in the order of what I consider to be most important. For designating FEGLI, Federal Employees Group Life Insurance, make certain you have an up-to-date standard form 2823. That designates your life insurance. If you've changed your mind, fill out another one. Get it through your human resources activity so they can get it into your EOPF. If you don't have a 2823 in your official personnel file, then in essence, we have the legal order of precedence that says who's going to get your life insurance. And that's fine. Because people say, well, yeah, I want my spouse to be first, my kids to be next, and so on. But the problem with not having that designation of beneficiary is that they'll have some hoops to go through to prove who they are if you die. So it's much better to have them identified so they don't have to go through those extra hoops and they get the money more quickly. Form number two, this is for people who are still working. Standard form 1152, unpaid compensation. If you pass away before you retire, the government is going to owe you a final salary payment. They're going to owe you vacation time that you haven't used. Could very well be your 240-hour ceiling and use or lose leave. That's a lot of money. Who gets that income? The people you have designated on standard form 1152. Now, once you retire, this form has no further significance because you've received all of your compensation from the agency. So you don't worry about that. And the other one, which is kind of in the weeds, Standard Form 3102. Every two weeks, for those of us who are working, we make a contribution to this fund that's going to produce our pension. 
which has an acronym too long to mention. I'm not going to mention that. So you're putting money into that fund. And if you pass away and you're not getting an annuity, and let's say you have no survivors, who gets the money that you put into the retirement fund? The person designated on the standard form 3102. Now, once you retire, the government's going to use up that money. They use your money first, and then they start using the agency money to pay your annuity. So within a year or so, the 3102, once you've retired, won't have any significance. But it's good to fill it out. These forms have to be in your EOPF. One final form or one final designation of beneficiary, thrift savings. That used to be a paper form, TSP3. But now when you're designating beneficiaries or changing your designation of beneficiaries for TSP, you have to do so electronically on their website at my account. Not my account, your account. You have a PIN. You go in, you do everything now electronically. So I want to do at least make sure you know those things. And then remember, when you retire, that's when you elect the survivor annuity benefits for spouses. Andrew, Andrew says we have one minute. Do you think you can wrap it up in a minute, Bob? <laughs> yeah, I think I can. It's, it's, it's important, ladies and gentlemen, to understand what you bring to the table with a spouse or not and what people would need from you if you're not there. Now, many of you may not have those liabilities, and that's terrific. You know, never married, don't have any kids. You know, I'm going to leave it to my favorite charity. But for those of us who have those liabilities, make sure you plan accordingly. By all means, make certain you have enough money to do your lifestyle. You hopefully will. I mean, many people have more net income in their retirement because of the three-legged stool than they had while working. But equally important to that, what happens to the people if you pass away? Will they have sufficient income to fund a similar quality of life? That's critical. It's as important to your financial planning as it is to theirs. Okay. Andrew says um, we've gone past our time. So, uh, <laughs> Bob, it's been real. Uh, excuse me. If there's any reference point you can give us uh, that they might have questions later on, not necessarily you know to your to your job, but um, beyond today's show. I mean, today's show is every week, same time, uh, but on different subjects. Yours is very broad today. Yeah. And very I mean, point of contact, how to reach me? Yeah. Well, I, I always go through NITP because, after all, you give me all my work and you allow me to be on your radio show. So just if you're interested in getting more information from me, I think it's info, I-N-F-O, at N-I-T-P-I-N-C.com. Let me repeat, info at nitpinc.com. Just say you listen to the radio show. I was the, the co-host, and I have a question for Bob. All right. We got, we got tickets to paradise now. Thank you, Bob. You bet. <laughs> thank you, Andrew, for keeping us on track. And listeners, thank you for listening. Till then, we'll be back next week, same time. Unfortunately, not with Bob. You've been listening to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP and sponsored by WEPA. Please tune in next Monday at 10 a.m. for a topic solely devoted to you, the federal employee. This show can also be heard on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search For Your Benefit. Thanks for listening.